Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. Except for a few days of coat-worthy temps, this autumn has been an unseasonably mild one in the St. Louis region. People have spent more time and longer outside. But are humans the only ones who've been doing so? Does that apply to multi-legged critters who overwinter in our homes? Well, for any and all questions, insect and arachnid, who else would we turn to but our favorite entomologist, Tad, the bug dad, Yankowski. And he joins us today to dispel some myths, dispense some facts, and answer your questions and ours. Tad, thanks so much for being here, and welcome back to the show. Uh, Thanks for having me. It's good to be back. So let's start today with a name that strikes fear in many folks, brown recluse spider. So, Todd, brown recluse spiders are infamous for having necrotic venom. What does that mean, and how dangerous is their venom to humans? Sure. So the brown recluse spider is perhaps more than many other animals, if not all animals in Missouri. There's a lot of lore and myth, but also misinformation that surrounds it. Uh, It is true that they can cause medically significant bites. Their uh, bites and their venom do have the potential to cause wounds that can kill tissue or flesh and may be very slow to heal. And while that is true, uh, the flip side of that is their bites are very rare. And oftentimes when people think they've been bitten by a brown recluse spider, the reality is it's one of dozens of other ailments that are often confused for their bites. Mm -hmm. And you have brought two brown recluse spiders with you. Can you describe what they look like? Yeah. So brown recluse spiders, uh, as the name implies, are brown. uh, I showed them to uh, one of the producers here, and they say, well, that's that's just a plain old spider. And really, mm-hmm. that's what they look like. They're a small, uh, rather um, diminutive, insignificant-looking spider. They're smaller than what most people expect them to be. Uh, most of the ones you'll find in your house uh, are going to be around the size of a nickel or a dime. Uh, large males can sometimes reach the size of a quarter when you have their full legs, uh, but they're fairly slender, uh, and they do uh, have a brown fiddle shape on their back. Sometimes they're called fiddleback spiders or violin spiders for that reason. Mm-hmm. Now, if we were to open the lid on these cases, that's hypothetical. <laughs> um, would these brown recluses, would they bite us? Would they immediately scurry away? Uh, they would probably want to hide. Um, as their name implies, they're reclusive. They really don't want to be out in the light. They don't want to be out during the day. They tend to pick a spot that is far away from humans and stay there. You know, they like human dwellings because we have shelter and heat and food for them. But the reality is they don't want to interact with us. They're going to be hiding behind bookshelves or under appliances or in your basement. Um, 
I don't recommend handling them, but on the flip side, you could probably handle most brown recluse spiders safely. It's generally considered that their fangs are not strong enough to penetrate human skin without assistance. So you, when bites do happen, they're usually when people are aggressively handling them or they get stuck in their gloves or clothing. Mm, okay. We're talking about brown recluse spiders and bugs this hour, and we want to hear from you. Have you ever encountered a brown recluse spider? What happened? We're interested in your other crawly critter observations as well, especially as insects make their way out of the cold and into our homes. What questions do you have about the bugs you're seeing lately, both indoors and out? Give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 314-382-TALK. Or email us at talk at stlpr.org. So it is more likely than not that we have brown recluse spiders if we live in Missouri or Southern Illinois, is that right? Absolutely. I tell people that you give me five minutes in your house and I can almost always find a brown recluse spider. And sometimes we're talking seconds instead of minutes for how long that'll take. Okay. And (laughs) are there reasons, I mean, you talked about the warmth. What about what they eat? Is there something about uh, their diet that makes them want to to come and, and hang out in our homes? So they eat just about anything that they can catch that's smaller than them. They're really not too picky. Uh, When we keep our captive ones, they're happy to take fruit flies or small crickets. Uh, There are many arthropods that live in our houses and homes that we just don't realize. Uh, They tend to also want to be hiding from people. So they're behind cupboards and under refrigerators and places like that where these spiders set up shop. And for the most part, they're ambush predators. They're just going to sit and wait for that tiny silverfish or cricket or whatever it is to wander by, wander into the wrong part of town, and then they get eaten. Okay. Well, if they're going to go after silverfish, I think we would want brown recluse spiders in our homes, right? Yeah, I, I think there's a you know there's a fine line between the potential risk if you do accidentally get bit, but those bites are very rare, and while they're there, they are providing some assistance to you by eating things you probably don't want in your house. Mm-hmm. Now, you had said that there are uh, many cases of misdiagnosis that what is attributed to brown recluse spiders is actually coming from other sources. Correct. Why is that the case? And, and what are the most common offenders um, that are, are like making us uncomfortable? <laughs> sure. Uh, there was uh, a gentleman who sort of dedicated his life. Uh, he's since retired, but he still does a lot of brown recluse uh, spider uh, discussions and stuff. His name's Rick Vetter. He was from uh, California. And he studied this and found that there's as many as 40 different medical ailments that often will be sort of grouped into a brown recluse spider bite. Things like other insect or arthropod bites, mosquitoes or ticks have sometimes been misdiagnosed. But oftentimes it's things that are completely unrelated. Uh, A very common thing is staph infections or MRSA. They have a very similar diagnosis and presentation to a brown recluse bite. So when somebody sees a mystery spot or sore on their arm, unfortunately, it a lot of doctors and medical professionals have sort of dumped all of those into the brown recluse bite as a catch-all, when in reality, it's often not a spider bite. Okay, so the arachnid becomes a scapegoat. You got it. <laughs> and 
if we do encounter a brown recluse spider, how is it that we should deal with them? Um, like if we were, I mean, how would you, how would you catch it? And what, should we release them outside? You certainly can. Uh, my first advice to people is not to panic or, or really stress about it. Like I said, if you live in Missouri, you probably have them in your house. Mm-hmm. Um, if you found your first one, congratulations, there's probably more. Uh, you can uh, do the, um, the cup with a piece of paper where you just catch it under the cup, take it out to your backyard if you feel comfortable doing that, uh, and toss it out. Uh, side. If you do it far enough away from your door, they're not going to come back inside. Honestly, what I do when I see them, I ignore them in my Just house. Leave them alone. Okay. We're talking with Missouri Botanical Garden senior entomologist, aka the bug guy, Tad Yankowski, this hour, and we want to hear from you. What bugs have you encountered lately? What questions do you have about the insects in our area? Join our conversation by calling 314 382 8255. That's 314 382 TALK, or email us at stlpr.org. We have Anne calling from St. Louis. Anne, welcome to St. Louis on the Air. Hi. Hello. So I wanted to tell my story about um, how I got bit by a brown recluse. I was uh, just putting my food on in the morning to go to work, and I felt a sting. But I went, I went ahead and went to work, and several hours later, it was like a big open sore. Like, it was really bad. So I went to the emergency room. And it took them a long time to finally figure out it was a spider bite. Um, but by then, it, it looked terrible. It was almost like the flesh was, like, pushing itself out. It was, it was a bad, bad bite. Oh, and what is it that you were doing, Anne, when you felt that sting? I was putting my work boot on. I, w- I worked outside at the time um, at a construction company. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I was I was really just getting ready for work, and I guess the, the the spider must have crawled inside my boot, or I had it on me somehow. And when I put the uh, the boot on, I felt the sting. You know, took my foot back out and didn't see anything, but you know, it's possible it ran off or it was in there. I, I don't know. Yeah. But and how long did it just, take? I'm sorry. How long did it take for you to recover? It, it seemed like weeks, and it, the pain was so bad. I mean, it. I really could, after going to the emergency room, after just a few hours of being at work, it was probably a good week or two before I was able to actually return back to work. Mm. You know, it just, it just, it was, I couldn't put any pressure on. I couldn't walk. It it hurt. It's very painful. Yeah. And thank you for calling, Todd. Yeah. Stories like that are always interesting. Uh, First off, that would be horrible. You know, I'm I'm, uh, I'm glad it sounds like she's recovered from it, which is which is always important and good to hear. Um, true brown recluse bites have been known to take you know sometimes uh, you know weeks or months to heal. Um, it is believed though that over ninety percent of actual brown recluse bites have very few symptoms, uh, and so there's believed to be uh, either either the ability for the spider to add more venom, or some people are more sensitive to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always curious with stories like that if the spider was ever recovered because, um, 
without seeing the spider, for sure. I think the diagnosis is, uh, it's always a little tricky to be very confident that it was a brown recluse. Uh, it certainly could be because places that are common to be bitten are on the feet or hands because, as she said, that pressure of adding uh, when you put your foot in is, is a way for it to bite you and break the skin. So mm-hmm. uh, that very well could have been a brown recluse bite. Yeah. Now we have a question from Carol. Um, this is not about uh, spiders. Mm-hmm. It's about stink bugs. Yeah. She says, I don't remember stink bugs being around when I was young. I'm 60 years old now. Are they something new? Does everyone smell them? I don't seem to be <laughs> able to smell a stink bug stink. Also, do they have natural predators? Yeah, so the brown marmorated stink bug is an invasive pest that showed up, I believe, on the East Coast um, fairly recently, just a couple decades ago, and it's been spreading west. And we've been seeing them more and more here in St. Louis, and they love to come indoors to escape the winter. Um, We... uh, are finding them sneaking into the flight house at the Butterfly House right now. Uh, But they're all over the buildings, they're all over our our sheds. And the reason you didn't see them years ago is they weren't here then. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a few related species that sometimes come inside. Uh, I saw a Western conifer seed bug, which is a relative of the stink bug and does smell. Mm -hmm. And that was sneaking inside yesterday, I saw it. Uh, But they love to come indoors. What we tell people is you're not going to get rid of them uh, with any sort of spraying or anything like that because they're just going to keep coming inside. You can vacuum them up. Okay. They are an invasive pest, so there's no real harm in uh, taking measures to get rid of them. Uh, if you squash them, uh, that's when they release their smell. And so uh, if you go with what I call the organic pest control of stepping on them, uh, that will sometimes lead to them smelling. But otherwise, you can sweep them up or vacuum them up just to get rid of them because they will show up in large numbers. Okay. We have Sue calling from St. Louis. Sue, welcome to St. Louis on the Air. Hi. Hello. I, I happen to have a problem with fungus gnats oh, yeah. on a plant that I brought in uh, from the porch from the summer, and I have sprayed them with um, hydrogen peroxide solution, and I've also put diatomaceous earth on top of it, Mm -hmm. but I still seem to have a couple flying around my lights at night, and it's really irritating. <laughs> yeah, so fungus gnats are tricky, especially in house plants. Um, there are a couple things you can do to, to um, knock down their populations. They really need it to be pretty moist, and so if the plant will tolerate it, letting the soil dry out a lot between waterings is definitely going to help uh, knock them down. Their larvae live in the soil. Um, in addition to that, there is a... Uh, it's uh, sort of a biopesticide. It's called BT, and you can uh, get it that just uh, attacks and kills flies and fly larvae. Uh, they often are sold as a mosquito. Uh, they sell mosquito dunks that uh, will kill mosquito larvae. But you can get granules that you can add to the soil or add to water and then water your plants with that, which will kill those fly larvae and will usually be pretty effective at knocking them out. And the ones that are flying around, those will eventually, I'm afraid they'll mate and then start the whole cycle over again. 
Yeah, it's possible, but if you eliminate their breeding ground, um, that's really the best way by letting that soil dry out. There are traps you can buy that are really good for fungus gnats uh, that um, use a black light and a sticky trap to attract them. And we actually had a fungus gnat outbreak where I work. Uh, Some of our mulch that we use for our beetles came with some fungus gnats. And so we did a mix of those methods, letting it dry out. And we had a black light trap that really cut down on the adults flying around and we got them under control pretty quickly. Okay, great. Thank you. You're welcome. Good luck. Thank you for calling. Now, Another thing, um, when we return to the, the weather and the climate, you know, it's been a pretty warm fall season so far. You can still hear crickets in the evenings, and there's still gnats you know, mm-hmm. flying around. And we've seen in our own home um, flies, like house flies. We've got a, a, um, a Venus fly trap. So, I mean, it's food for, for that plant. Sure. But are insects having a longer last hurrah this year? And, you know, are there any larger effects of these insects being out and about for a longer period over the fall? That's an excellent question. It's something that entomologists have been looking at over the last, um, you know, few decades as uh, the climate is changing and we're having longer summers and warmer falls. Um, a lot of the insects are generally pretty adaptable and can adjust to these temperature swings. Um, A lot of them are programmed as much by um, changes in uh, daylight. So they know as the days get shorter, it's time to, if they're a caterpillar, they're gonna form their chrysalis or cocoon and wait out the winter. Some of them are affected by temperature changes, though, uh, and so there are studies going on to see how that'll do um, long term. A lot of species that we're familiar with, like butterflies, uh, they actually don't survive the winter as a general rule, and they need to repopulate from the south every single year. And so long term, those changes won't affect them too much. Mm-hmm. They'll just be around here a little bit longer before their populations drop off. So leaf cover is something that I'm also wondering about. There's been a debate that has been going on about whether you should rake or not. You know, how much fallen leaf cover do pollinators need Mm -hmm. for hibernation? And um, how do bugs in our region hibernate? So a lot of our animals that we hold near and dear actually rely on leaf litter in some form to survive the winter. Bumblebee queens, they form a new colony every spring, but they overwinter in leaf litter or uh, sort of mulch or areas of that nature, and they need that to survive, to hibernate. And if they can't find a place to sort of safely insulate themselves from the weather, they may not survive um, the cold of the winter. Similarly, fireflies will also overwinter in leaf litter. The food for fireflies will too. Um, Also, um, a lot of moths like luna moths and some butterflies will overwinter in their cocoon or chrysalis stages where if that leaf litter is taken away, if they're already in there when you take it away, then you're sending them to a landfill or some other place. And if you don't allow it to build up at all, you're not giving them a place to survive the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the question always comes down to how do you balance that with a, perhaps a homeowner's association that doesn't want to see any leaves. Right. And what we tell people is, find the compromises when you can. You know, perhaps you can't have all of the leaves left over, but you can find a place to leave a few piles or a row, and that's at least better than nothing. Mm -hmm. 
Now, we're not going to let you go without an update, <laughs> because in February, nearly 100 Antilles pink toe tarantulas were brought to the Sophia M. Sachs Butterfly House in Chesterfield to be raised under your care. How are those tarantulas doing today? Uh, they're doing great. They're continuing to grow. Um, as adults, they will be a beautiful, I say, cotton candy color of pink and green. As immatures, they're bright blue. And they're all still showing their blue coloration now, but we expect them to start molting literally any day, and we're going to see those adult colors showing through. Mm-hmm. We are just uh, launching this week our Winter Jewels celebration for the uh, sort of holiday season at the Butterfly House, and we're excited that for the first time we're going to be putting one of the bright blue uh, Antilles pink toe tarantulas on display because mm-hmm. uh, we figure it really fits in with the uh, topic of nature's jewels. Yeah. What are some of the other insects or arachnids that will be part of that? Uh, we just received a whole bunch of spectacular beetles from a breeder in Asia. So we've got uh, atlas beetles and elephant beetles and beautiful rainbow stags and all sorts of nature's colorful animals mm-hmm. to see. Tad Jankowski is a senior entomologist at the Missouri Botanical Gardens Butterfly House. Tad and uh, the two recluse spiders. (laughs) Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having us. This episode was produced by Emily Woodbury. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Doerr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.